How to do it, Michelle? How to do it, partner? How's it going? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, had a good week. I've had a great week. I'm just a little concerned that you thought my appearance was that I just got out of bed. Rolled out of bed, I think, is what I said. I'm sorry, Michelle. Oh, I see you've got a pretty sun frock on. Is that a frock? I do. Oh, I do. I do have a frock. It's. I the thought sun it was pajamas. Oh, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> but it's pretty. But you've got everything that you own is gorgeous, Michelle. You always look so oh, well turned out. Thank just you. And a, so do you. Run a brush through the hair. That's all. You, this is not the first time you've said that to me. <laughs> my mother would always say that. Hey, speaking of Robin, my mum, mm. I believe she did listen to last week's cleaning episode. Oh, yeah? good. And I had sent you some photos this morning of her new pad. They've done up a, a Welsh dresser. They've got all their knickknacks out and they're much more streamlined. There's no singing frog. It wasn't a singing frog. It was a guitar playing frog. She said she can't find that. And she said, you're absolutely right. Our generation has no interest in their knickknacks. That's why they sold them all and made loads of money. Go, mum. Oh, <laughs> go, Robin. Go, mum. Cash in the attic. Yep. That's what it is. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, no, I saw those pictures. Looks fantastic. I, I love the, yeah. the, um, the native Australian arrangement on the bed. Very nice, very nice. It was like a very, it was almost like an airs rock kind of. Uh, the tones. Ochre tones, Oka. yes. Yep. And, a lot of uh, cane as well. I love a bit of cane. So talking of knickknacks, yes. I read this crazy thing, as you, as you do. As you do. It was about Gwyneth Paltrow. Did you read about this? No. What's she done to her vagina now? Well, funny you should talk about her vag. It's because always about a vag, isn't it? It is all about a goopy vag. But, oh, um, Michelle. What? She runs Goop. Okay. Goop's her website. Right. Come on. Goopy get vag, with though, it. That's not nice. A goopy vag, no. It's, At least it's not droopy, woopy, puffy, wuffy. What? <laughs> anyway, I, that's, my sister will understand that reference. Oh, anyway, moving right along. She had... A complaint this week. Who? Gwyn. And her veg. So a guy called Colby Watson, who lives in Texas, is taking Gwyneth Paltrow to court. <gasps> oh, I see. The complaint's against her. It's not her complaining. Yes. No, no. He is taking her, he's suing her for $5 million. <laughs> Dollar. She's got in it. In damages. She'll have it somewhere. She will. She's got it tucked up into well fanny box. Anyway, in a bad So, <laughs> well, we're talking about that because this dude, Colby, suing her for $5 million because he bought one of her vagina candles oh. called This Smells Like My Vagina Exploded. <laughs> the vagina candle exploded and he said he'd burned it for three hours before it exploded and became engulfed in high flames. Oh, my God. Leaving a black burn ring on his table and the candle jar charred and black. Dude wants five okay. million for this. Well, I was going to say that's million. quite excessive, isn't it? Five million for a burnt ring on his... He wasn't even injured. A burnt ring, from, a burnt ring? <laughs> from her vagina. Goodness <laughs> me. So, but can I just say, and I don't want to bring up the idea of fanny juice again. Oh! Who wants a candle that smells like that? And especially Winnie's. No. Well, she's obviously going to, it's going to be like the Instagram filter where she's got no wrinkles and her triple chin has been, you know, wiped away. And so she's going to edit the candle or the smell of her vagina as well, because no one else is going to be able to say, it doesn't smell like that. <laughs> Are they? Apart from her ex-husband. Yeah, Chris Martin might have a word or two to say about that. But, yeah, I guess this dude just wanted his house to smell like vagina, like oh, the fresh God. scent of vagina. No, but why else would you buy a candle? Yeah, why would you buy that? Why would you why buy Why would you it? buy And it was actually called This Smells Like My Vagina. That was the name of the candle. And it looked really elegant. I've got issues with that. I mean, why? Why? I mean, I can see it's probably an extreme marketing ploy. But why would you say that? Oh, come on, Gwyneth. Don't. Well... She might get taken off the market now. She might I be five so. mil down after this. So anyway, <laughs> no, they can't. Obviously, I, d I don't know who. I just don't know who I'm grand, for. In but this. not five mil. 
Five mils, a lot. That's too much. I mean, I guess, do you know what? If you're going after Gwyneth, you're going to go for all you can go get, big. aren't you? Yeah. Go big or go home. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I, I'm just not sure whose side I'm on. Do I root for dude who bought it? Like they're, they're both ridiculous. Candle? They are both ridiculous people, I and I don't give a crap what happens to either of them. I don't give a hoot. <laughs> I don't give a veg about it anyway. <laughs> so that was that was what I read, and I was shocked. That is shocked and horrified. Shocked and anyway. horrified. And I had realised it's been quite a while since we've talked about our love and our patron saint. Oh, Ben. <laughs> Mendels. Ben Mendels. Mendels. We haven't talked about him for ages. We haven't. It's nothing to say. You two better watch out. We don't like Henderson's around here. <laughs> Poor old Ben. What's he up to? Is he is he out of work, do you think, Michelle, again? Career's over. Career's oh. over. No, it will I mean, never be over for him. No, it won't. It won't. Do you know Australia is the new Hollywood? Because they've all gone out there. How are they being allowed in and out of Australia and where not? Because the Australian government does not give a fuck if you've got money enough to get in. They let you in it during this pandemic. They've but said if you're it's like, shut, shut, shut both ways. Yeah, bullshit. It's all backhanders behind the oh, bike shed. Who knows? Backhanders. Anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, Michelle, that's what I my story is full of them today. We are talking all about today because we've missed it, haven't we? Our favorite we show. Have. We have. We've been we've been bereft and forlorn about huh? not having bereft and well, what? Bereft. Bereft, bereft. and forlorn. Oh, forlorn. Forlorn. What did you think I said? The lawn. The lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on the lawn. <laughs> I've been bereft on the lawn ever since Line of Duty finished three Sundays ago. Oh, it's not been great not having it there anymore, but it's made me think about it a lot. And um, I did find a great podcast to listen to, which I'll tell you about later, which has kind of filled my Sunday gaps. Well, you wanted to do this week's topic. I did, um, Line of Duty, because I love it. Because there is some real life stories that the wonderful writer Jed Mercurio was inspired mm. by, you know, that it might seem far-fetched, all these OCGs, which stands for Organised Crime Gang. And is that right? OCG? Cheers. Cheers, which is cheers. a... Uh, it's a, a cheers. A, a cent, it's a... I've got that in my story, a cheers, because I've got a real-life cheers in mine. Um, a human intelligence source. Yeah, and all these things that we learnt, and AC12, anti-corruption. There are mm. anti-corruption... Uh, I don't think they're called that, but there are anti-corruption... Units, yeah, units in the, police, in the force. police force, and they bloody need to be because there has been so much corruption. The mm. Met is absolutely rife, I'm afraid, and they haven't fixed it. It's not been fixed. Do you know what? It's Australia too, because that series that you made reference to and never knew the name of, Underbelly. Oh that yes, is, yeah, that is based on real life. Um, corruption in the police force as well. Yes. But that we'll save that for another podcast. No, look, you're right. There's absolutely some um, real life stories that inspired Jed Mercurio. Yeah. And and look, if we go right back to series one, yeah, the very first scene. Help me, Tony. Help me, Tony. The very first scene in the very first episode was based, according to Jed Mercurio, and look, it's loosely based. Yeah. But he did base it on the shooting of Charles. Uh, Jean-Charles de Menezes. Oh, yes. And the, this is just after 7-7, wasn't it, where they were really hunting down terrorists? Exactly. Back in 2005. And look, yeah. I really remember this. Because Cause it was just one one stop down from your your tube station to Stockwell, wasn't yeah. it? That's right. So I was – I just recently moved to London and a few years earlier and I was living in Brixton. And like you had said, to put his death into context – Two weeks before um, Jean-Charles was shot, it was the London 7-7 Islamist suicide bombings on the tube and in Tavistock Square, on the buses, and all of London was on high alert. And then I didn't actually know this, or maybe I did, but I'd forgotten. Um, The day before he was shot, 
uh, there were some failed bombing attempts on the tube at Warren Street and uh-huh. Oval and Shepherd's Bush. Yeah. And also on some bu- buses. Why can't I bloody talk <laughs> to buses? Buses. <laughs> buses. It's because I was going to say buses or Bethnal Green. So oh, that's, that's difficult. That's a hard sentence. Yeah, look, and there were apparently some, some explosions, some minor ones, but no one was hurt. So okay. London was freaking out at yeah. the time. My parents were over that week. No. Yeah, oh and they believe they saved my life because – my my tube was to King's Cross and mm-hmm. the buses from King's Cross. There's some of my colleagues at Miss 60, because our headquarters were in King's Cross at the time. Some of my mm-hmm. uh, colleagues got off the tube and got onto a bus that was behind or in front of the bus oh, that God. blew up. And they saw it oh, and they had shit. to had to get counselling and all sorts of things. Yeah. You'll remember then, like, that time, everyone, like, all of London yeah. was freaking out. So were the cops. And they were on a manhunt for these terrorists. And, look, in short, when it ca- comes to uh, Jean-Charles de Menezes, they identified the wrong guy. They thought he was a terrorist. And they shot him seven times in the head at Stockwell Tube. In the tube station. Seven times. Yeah. And, look, and there was so... So much misinformation about it. And it was shocking because, you know, like you said, Brixton was my tube stop. And that morning it was closed. So he had actually tried to get on the tube at Brixton. Mm. And then he had to walk to Stockwell. And they, I mean, it was an epic fuck up, the whole thing. He he walked to the tube. They thought he was a terrorist. They'd identified the wrong guy. He got shot in the head. Innocent guy so circling back to line of duty in episode one steve arnott he's working in counterterrorism unit and he orders a firearms team to raid the flat of a suspect but they read the flat number wrong and because the number's hanging off in a weird way and they end up raiding uh, flat 56 instead of flat 59 and when like they ram raid the door when they go in they mistake a dude who is cradling a baby He's cradling a baby, but he's got the baby harness That's on it. and they think it's a bomb yeah. a bomb vest and they kill him. Then Chief Inspector Philip Osborne demands that the team lie. Yeah. To cover it up. And that's where Steve is our Yeah, hero. Steve's like, No, mate, I'm yeah. not I'm not I can't not tell the truth about what happened. And then and he's then, recruited by Ted Hastings in the A C twelve anti corruption unit and that's how it starts. Exactly. So that was based on, like I said, the real life shooting of Charles D. Menezes. Why did they pinpoint Menezes? He was a he was a Brazilian, He's Brazilian, I believe, and he was an electrician yep. working in London. Yep. What was he wearing that day? There was they were saying in the papers. Now, they were saying that he had a. It was a, a hot summer's day, and they said he had a long, thick trench coat on. Turns out he didn't. No. They thought he was hiding bombs under this big, heavy trench coat. He wasn't even wearing it. They, right. that's, what I, that's what I mean about misinformation. At the time, they made all these stories up, but the truth really came out that, mm. yeah, he, he was just misidentified. And I think that he had either a name similar or he was living close to some other Islamists. I mean, he does, doesn't even look. They targeted him yeah, they as an individual and went mm-hmm. after him. Yep, they followed him. They followed him to Brixton, then followed him to My Stockwell. God. And then they didn't want to let him get on the tube, so they shot him in the tube. And, I, God, I, it was so horrifying because Lon- London has a history of the... Um, Terrorism. Well, obviously, in Brixton, yeah. The, well, first of all, all the, all the bomb IRA. attacks on the yeah. tube, the IRA. Uh, then local uprisings and, you know, like the mm. riots in Brixton in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, even when... When I've been living in Brixton, we had the looting right outside my flat. And why Brixton is always a, a flashpoint and a hotspot for all this is because right outside my flat in Brixton, for many, many, many years until really the last year or two, there were memorials on that tree outside yeah. the Brixton Police Station. Uh-huh. And Plixton, Brixton Police Station is where they get Plixton. What the fuck is The wrong guns with of me? Plixton. The buns of Plix. Buns of Plix. <laughs> what is happening? I haven't even been drinking this morning. Anyway, um, outside me. my flat. Yeah. Outside, the, I live right Well, you live outside the police, police station. station, which is lots I of do. fun. I do. Well, you say that, but it is. Over the years, I've seen some shocking things. And. Black deaths in custody. There was a really famous 
Black Death in Brixton, the cells in Brixton Police Station. So that's why there is always people rallying and, you know, it's really, really awful. But speaking of that, another plot line in the most recent series was the the case of Stephen Lawrence. And in series six, and sorry, spoiler alert, if spoiler. you haven't watched it. Yeah, it's uh, Detective Constable Chloe Bishop um, tells Steve Arnes there's an historic case about a young black man called Christopher mm-hmm. Lawrence mm-hmm. He, who's been attacked outside railway station in 2003 by a gang of white youths. She goes on to say that the police assumed his death was gang-related, but it was later revealed that Christopher had nothing to do with gangs. He was actually an architect. He'd never had any trouble with the law. And then one of the most upsetting lines of the last series was when she was talking to Steve Arnott about how the officers had just left this young kid who'd been attacked by a white gang mm. um, to die in police custody and that they made monkey, monkey noises. Monkey noises. Yeah. And, and, she, and he said, are you okay? And she's like, how could anyone be okay? Yeah, that and was amazing. It was like goosebump moment yeah. in that series. And this actually relates back to two cases. Mm-hmm. So the first case of Stephen Lawrence. Look, Jeremy Curio has used the name of two cases and yeah, joined them and together. And them together, yeah. Yeah, so we've got Stephen Lawrence and then we have Christopher Alder. Yeah. So the Stephen Lawrence case was one of the most famous cases yes. in the UK and it's still talked about today. Mm-hmm. Institutionalised racism within the police force. And actually, Stephen Lawrence was a black 18-year-old A-level student who wanted Studying to be an architect. architect yeah. Mm. And he was attacked by a gang of white kids. Mm-hmm. They were just a, bun- a, a bunch of racists uh, yeah. in the street and yep. they just approached him. Yep. And his friend who he was with ran away, but Stephen, unfortunately, was stabbed and left for dead yep. by the gang. And act- Yeah, he was. Because they both feared and- for their lives. And everybody knew who was responsible, but no one said they, anything. And it was down well, to that, the family, wasn't it? Yep. Doreen and yes, Neville, uh, I think his name is. Lawrence. Sorry, I know so much about this because I lived in the area when it happened. Well, actually, there were there were things like people knew and had left the names of the kids who had beat mm-hmm. him up on the windscreen of police cars. Yep. And it was ignored. And this is what really ignited the the extreme reaction of the public was that how could the police turn a blind eye simply because it was a black kid who got beaten up by white kids and it was awful and actually when I did some research this happened in 93 Mm -hmm. 93 you would have just moved to the UK at this point I was I was there for a few years and I was well in well and truly living in the area so I remember everything about it happening and the aftermath Doreen the Mm. mother She's now a Labour peer. Yeah, right. And she had an amazing speech at some point because it was a long haul for that family. She made this incredible speech that predates all of the Black Lives Matter. Uh, She basically said that. She said, why don't we matter? Why does it matter? Why is the law just there for the white people? Why is it not there to protect us and our children? Well, it was shocking. Um, And she was absolutely right. She's become such a a well-known advocate for pushing for investigations into black deaths in custody and and everything but in terms of this case it wasn't until 2012 that only two of the kids in the gang were finally convicted of Stephen's death after years of that Uh family campaigning so for me and do you remember when they walked free the first few times they'd been in court in and out of court and of course there were so many reasons why they had to let them go and they'd come out cheering and smiling and they were it was disgusting but you know what it wasn't do you remember we always like slag off the daily mail but actually it was the daily mail that ran that front page they printed their names yep who said murderers the the mail accuses these men of killing if we are wrong let them sue us. And they named those five yeah. kids and but, not yeah. one of those kids they sued. They never sued. That was actually one moment where the media has actually been used for good. You know, one yes. key moment. One facet of the of the media. Mm. Because as you'll find out when I tell my little tale later mm. on, News International, run by oh Rupert God, Murdoch, yeah. are the biggest criminals out there and they are in cahoots with the police, yep. particularly the Met, the Metropolitan Police, which is the city's police force. Yeah, so I don't know who owns the Daily Mail. I know that they've got quite right, right-wing views that I don't agree mm. with, 
But in that occasion, and then th- uh, they did good. The Guardian, yeah. they had, they have journalists who end up losing their jobs in order to tell the truth. Yeah. So when we've got the, the mainstream media, which people always look at with disdain, we need them. We absolutely need the media. They are there to speak for us as people against the, you know, the politicians and government. They're the voice of the people. But unfortunately, things do go wrong as we all know. Well, but but, and Jed McCurry well, on you. Well, it's corruption as well with on a level with, yep. the, with the media because as we've seen in, in recent years, you can tell one side of a story and if you've got the biggest voice, that's a story that gets heard. So, and you can yep. bribe journalists to give a certain angle. You know, not everybody is telling the truth in the media, obviously. No, so. I discovered during my research that in News International, that they've got things like the News of the World, Sun. I think they've even got the Times. I'm not sure. But the... In that time when, in the 90s in particular, they were loving all these drugs and guns and celebrities and all that kind of thing. Royals, Piers Morgan was running the, day, the News of the World at the time. He loved a story about royals. That's when, you know, they got, di- they got done for phone yeah. hacking because they were using such underhand tactics that they were going into people's voicemails or they were pretending to be people yeah. and ringing up their mortgage companies, ringing up the bank. Yeah acting getting all the information and they were using it against them or if you know if the the editor would be screaming out these poor journalists so badly that if they didn't have an exclusive story to give they'd go out and rather than get screamed at and and belittled and bullied by their editor they would go out and get their friends to dress up as as gangsters they'd go to the local sink estate they'd buy some cocaine or whatever they could and they'd photograph their friends like exchanging drug deals and sell and give it back to the paper. Fucking crazy! It's ridiculous. Rather than be be bawled out by their boss, that's how bad the the bullying culture was within that. Yeah, they're all in cahoots. They are absolutely. As will become clearer when I start to tell you the story that I've got today, which is my line of duty story. Mm-hmm. Britain's most investigated murder in the last series that just yeah. happened, series six. In series, what was it? Series six. They go to Gail Vella was the murdered journalist, right? That was who trying- who is connected to Jill Dando. That, that Jed Mercurio did yeah. base that. And when anyone who doesn't know, Jill Dando is actually a well-known TV journalist and presenter. Died shot outside her home in 1999. Crime Watch. Mm. She was doing Crime mm. Watch, which would have upset all the criminals <laughs> because she'd be out there exposing them. But, but that's true. yeah. Back to you. That was the Gail Vella angle and the real life. Yeah. She was shot on her doorstep, mm. Jill Dando. Yeah, uh, so so was Gail Vella in the epi- in the series six, and she was uncovering corruption that she discovered. Mm-hmm. What was her name again? Chloe Bishop, yes. DC Chloe Bishop, and at the time D. S, soon to be D.I. Steve Arnott. Steve Arnott, <laughs> our hero, turned up to the television production company where Gail Vella worked as a journalist and spoke to her producer, who said that Gail had been working on a podcast because she'd heard a podcast about the murder of Daniel Morgan. And that prompted her to do her own podcast. The podcast they're talking about is a real podcast and it's called Untold by journalist Peter Jukes and Divya Mir. And that's the thing I've been listening to for the last two weeks. It's incredible. And also there's a book that's been written by two ex-Guardian journalists, Laurie Flynn and Michael Gillard, called The Untouchables, which covers Stephen Lawrence, John Charles de Menendez, probably Dando's in there. Definitely this case, Daniel Morgan's Mm -hmm. in there. It's the Bible of of corruption. So they lost their jobs at The Guardian. Yeah, right. Because they they couldn't understand why no one else is touching this. You'd get people who did work at The Guardian or somewhere more reputable moving to a news international paper, gone quiet, Mm. lost interest in all these stories because they're not allowed to tell them. They're being silenced. Because because the editors are too scared. Because you think about yep. it. Yes, we watch Line of Duty and, you know, we, we're all involved and wrapped up in these storylines because it feels like fiction. But in a real-life hmm. situation... It's based on real life. But if life. you've got a real-life situation and you're a journalist and you think, okay, I can tell 
I can tell the truth and reveal this story or I can not end up in a fucking grave. Yeah, I can be killed or I can, my family can be ruined or my reputation can be ruined because the papers have the ability to yeah. do that, like I just said before, with regards to the phone yeah. tapping. And that's what they did throughout this story. Do you want to hear about who Daniel Morgan was? Yes, please. He was a young man. Well, he was 37 years old, Welsh chap. but he Middle-aged, according to my Middle-aged. According to your dad. <laughs> <laughs> he lived in South Norwood in southeast London with his wife Iris and their two children and he had a business with his partner business partner a man called Jonathan Rees okay and together they ran a private detective agency in South London called Southern Investigations wow all right so he and John Rees private detectives they're not great they did okay. have illegal access to the police national computer PNC they did have access to all sorts of things. I think, uh, I don't know what their background was, but they were running this agency, you know, sorting out jilted husbands and wives and debts okay. and all, all right. sorts so of stuff. So they were just like like small time, you know, small personal time. crimes or exactly. investigations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel Morgan went to a pub one evening and then at about 9.40 in the, in the evening of the 10th of March 1987, a pub customer from the Golden Lion in, pub in Sydenham came out. There was a remote car park attached to the pub. It was remote. It was dark. This pub customer went back to the car park and found Daniel's body lying between his car and another car Fuck. with an axe embedded in his face. <gasps> Oh, my God. He'd actually been struck three times already in the back with this axe. And as he lay on the ground, the murderer whacked it in one last time. This, The axe had no fin- fingerprints on it and it had tape around the handle as well. Okay. Next to Daniel's body were a couple of bags of crisps that he bought for his kids because he had these two little Aww. kids at home. And his car keys to his Mercedes. He had fancy cars. He was also a oh. member of the Austin Healy Club and he had an Austin Healy so car he as well. So he was wealthy. He was making, they were making money, yeah. Right. But okay. I believe there were also some debts with mm. the with the agency. His Rolex hang was on, gone. Hang on, hang on. So Daniel Morgan owned the PI he agency. Ran, he ran the agency called Southern Investigations yes, yes, with yes. business partner John Reese. Right, right. Yes. Jonathan Reese. Yes, yeah? yes, got it, got it. And that's who he was in the pub with that yep. evening. So he was found, so his Rolex was gone. Okay. But they found a thousand, over a thousand pounds of cash in Daniel's pocket, which so they believe was takings. Wasn't a robbery. <sighs> but his the seam of his trousers was ripped and later on witnesses say that they saw him in the pub and he was making notes, which he put in his trouser pockets. And they okay. were ripped at the scenes and there was no note found on him. One moment, please. One moment, please. What's that you say? I just need to look at my nerds. Your nerds. So the following day, Daniel's family were informed and Daniel has a very dogged brother, older brother called Alastair Morgan, who without him in the picture, the family wouldn't have uncovered all of the things that they they go on to uncover. So Alastair knew his brother very well. He had done some work in the investigation, in Southern Investigations. He knew John Reese quite well as well. He knew all of the people, but he lived in Hampshire at the time. So he came running up to London. The first thing he did was call John Reese and say, what the fuck happened to Daniel? You know, this can't be. John Reese told Alistair that his brother had been fatally mugged. Right. I guess Interesting. That, I mean, but that's, how do you, oh, he got mugged with a fucking axe. With Sorry. An axe. Like, what? I know. Bizarre. So, Reese, because he was the last to see him, he, yeah. was, he was the first to be informed of Daniel's murder. The police went straight round to Reese's house that evening knocked on the door, told him his partner, his business partner had been murdered. Apparently, the wife of John Reese was just watching TV the whole time and didn't even bother to look up. She carried on watching TV, yeah, which the police thought was odd. Yeah. So they, they, they asked him to come to the station. Yeah. So he was forensically checked there. He had to be looked over. But the weird thing is they didn't take his clothes. They didn't keep his clothes. They only visually checked them. And that's not usual practice. Okay, so dodgy from the start here. Particularly as Reese was the last one to see Daniel alive mm. and they're in a business partnership together. So that's when the next day it gets handed over to the police yeah. and the Catford police are at that time run by a man called Detective Superintendent Sid Fillery. 
So he takes on the case. Okay. So the next day they go to Southern Investigations and they clear out a whole box of documents and information from the, the office. Mm-hmm. And some of those some of those boxes had information regarding a case with a company called Belmont Auctions, which is a car auction company on the okay. banks of London, somewhere in Vauxhall. They had employed Southern Investigations because of a Friday night, they'd have all their cash from their car auctions and they had been robbed trying to take their stuff to the night safe one time. Oh, the takings, so they employed, yeah. yeah, so they employed through Reese, they employed Reese or Southern Investigations. This is Reese, not Daniel Morgan. Yeah. To do the job, to like provide security. So Reese had a couple of cop friends because yeah. he was very matey with the cops. Yeah. And they were doing, oh, his brothers in law, his two brothers in laws were Gary and Glenn Vian. And they're two kind of like big kind of like Mitchell brother type, you know, yeah, Southeast yeah. London gangster boys. They they were in into a bit of like drug uh, drug running and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so they were the the standover men that he took with him for this job. But one night that was going well for a few weeks. One night uh, he seemed it seemed like the safe had been super glued shut, and oh. he dropped off his brothers in laws. So he thought, oh, it's safe enough. I'll just bring it home and I'll take it in tomorrow. Yeah. So Reese brought the safe back to his house, but strangely enough, he was robbed on his doorstep and sprayed with ammonia in his face, and eighteen grand went missing. Oh, so okay. Belmont Auctions weren't happy about that. That they smelt a rat, mm. so they decided to sue Southern Investigations. Daniel Morgan, the partner who had nothing to do with this, thought, well, that's dodgy. You did that off your own back. We don't have the insurance to cover that. Plus, we're in debt. I'm very cross with you about this whole thing. So they were fuming. They had fallen out. So there were scenes of arguments between the two men. But they were. And but they had gone to the pub together. So they was had, it, to the pub. Ha, had it been reported that they were matey or had any scenes happened at the There pub? was an altercation. Right, There was an okay, altercation okay. scene. And they had been at the same pub the night before as well. And there was an altercation that night mm. as well. So anyway, Alastair had been aware of this situation with Belmont Auctions. And he knew that his brother wasn't happy. He also did know before, in the days running up to Daniel's death, that he was very agitated because he'd learnt something about one thing and one thing only, Michelle. Bent Bent coppers. coppers. Now we're sucking diesel. Now we're sucking Suckin diesel. diesel. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel had uh, got some information. He wouldn't tell Alistair. And he used to tell Alistair everything, but he did not tell Alistair what he knew. And he was acting very cagey and he was throwing out lines like, there's something amiss here or I'm going to get to the bottom of this or whatever. And in the meantime, John Reese. Alistair noted that he was throwing shade on Daniel's life. He was saying things about drug use. Now, Daniel wasn't a drug user. He was saying things about love affairs and jealous lovers, lots of women. Turns out his marriage was in trouble and he did have a girlfriend. Daniel had a girlfriend called Margaret Harrison, who saw him just before he left to go to the pub that fatal night. Fateful night. Mm. Um, So he did see he was seeing one lady. But not lots of ladies. And okay. it, it was known. It happens, you know. It's not great, but... Not great. But this was making Alastair suspicious. And during one conversation, Reese told Alastair after the murder that when he was taken to identify the body, strangely mm. it was Reese, not one of the family members, gone to ID the body, that he said they'd left the axe in his face or something like that. Oh. God. Which was quite shocking and upsetting to tell him. But that wasn't true because witnesses later say that the body had been post-mortemed. It had been cleaned and suited. There is no way he went in to view a body, to identify a body with an axe in the face. Okay, so how did he even know there was an axe in the face? Dunno. See, there we go. Suspicious. So Alastair took his suspicions to uh, Sid Fillery, the detective that was investigating the case and the other police force. But he was th- he was under suspicion when he turned up and he noticed they weren't taking notes. They didn't seem interested in what he had to say and they were deflecting. Yeah. This guy, Sid Fillery, sent him away. King of Catford, he's known as. And then a few days later, Sid Fillery makes a phone call to the family and says, listen, I knew your brother, Daniel. Yeah. And I'm going to move heaven and earth to get this investigation solved. But could you please do me a favour? Get your brother, Alastair, out of town. He's muddying the waters. It's <gasps> We're finding it difficult to do our job. Yeah. So the family were like, oh, bloody hell, Alastair, what are you doing? Yeah, keep You're your nose everything. out of it. Yeah. Keep your nose out. And he was like, no, fuck you. I know something's amiss. I know more about this case than you guys do because I've been on the ground and yeah. Daniel's been telling me stuff. Something's up. 
I'm staying put. And he did. Good for him. Stood his A few days later... Exactly. Yeah. A few days later, he was he was walking past a newsagent's and he noticed headline after headline after headline after headline. Six people had been arrested for Daniel's murder, but no police had picked up the phone to tell the family. Another Fuck. red flag. Yep. So he was looking for the names and like the Stephen Lawrence case, no one would name mm. except one paper. Our favourite, the Daily Star. Oh, Daily Star. The Star. Oh, the Star. Stop. Full of, full of Bast- shit. Bastion of quality <laughs> journalism. But they were the only paper to reveal the names of the six suspects who had been arrested. And it was, surprise, surprise, Jonathan Reese, his brothers-in-law, Gary and Glenn Vian, mm-hmm. and three serving police officers, probably those who were involved in the Belmont auctions scandal. Right. One of them, the detective on the case, Sid fucking Fillery. No. Yeah. Okay, fucking hell. Turns out he had conveniently wrapped up a murder the day before Daniel was killed, leaving him free to investigate Daniel's murder. And it also turns out, Michelle, that he was the third man in the pub that night. (gasps) Holy shit. Institutionalised and systemic corruption in the police force. Fucking hell. Sid Fillery. You'll be be pleased to know that all of these men... Are now are walking free, by the way. None of them have oh, con- been convicted after. God. And when I say it was the most investigated in, uh, murder in Great Britain, there have been five known inquiries to, into this murder. Five. From 1987, <sighs> Michelle. Yeah. And it's, it's still going. Don't tell me, did, did Fillory put, was he the one who put the axe in the head? Well, no. Okay. They believe it was, oh. it was Gary Vian. Oh, believe. Jesus Christ. But it was organised by Reese and covered up by Fillory. That's oh, that's God. the uh, the upshot. So Fillory was a deeply unpleasant man and had a reputation already for corruption, drunkenness, and framing suspects. Mm-hmm. Later on, he also gets done for uh, making indecent images of young boys. Oh, so he's also my into porn. God. Yeah? So he gets a suspended sentence for that. Doesn't even do time for that. Fucking hell. Community order. Anyway, all six suspects were released without charge. But, you know, there's always some kind of sexual abuse allegations because, you know, even line of duty. they can get away with. I know, but like even in the line of duty where, you know, there was like all of those connections with the Jimmy Savile case. Yeah. And the police were involved on every level facilitating all that Mm -hmm. shit. I mean, that's the thing with Jeb Mercurio. He does not have to look far to have more material than he could ever use for a line exactly. of duty. He couldn't even make enough series to cover all of the shit that's going on. I know. That's why I believe we've got more series to come. Anyway, so there's a year later, finally, there's a coroner's inquest at Southwark Court. Mm-hmm. On that day it started, the Morgan family discovered that Sid Fillery has since left the police force. He went off sick and joined Southern Investigations, no. Michelle. He replaced Daniel. <gasps> he replaced Daniel. Oh, my God. God. Brazen. 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 It's believed that Daniel had uncovered information about corrupt police officers being paid off by organised crime gangs, smuggling up to £100,000 worth of cocaine into the country. They had customs officials and police turned on their books, allowing this to happen. This is just tick, 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 line of duty. My God, I feel like I'm reading a script. You're reading a script. Fuck. Daniel uh, believed that this story was worth £250,000 and was reluctant to sell to a paper because right. he was going to go to the police. He well, wasn't going to go to the police with it. Well, that's in the He's days when papers. when papers actually paid for stories. And then papers also got court cases and, and, yeah. and things off the ground, you know, mm. because they'd print it and then they... The it was seat- influ- papers were influential back then. Yeah. Then they'd have to go and investigate anyway. He didn't tell anyone about it, not even Alastair, due to the dangerous and sensitive nature of the information. So it's discovered also that Reese is on a £150,000 a year retainer with News of the World. They are the main <gasps> clients oh after Fillory. When Fillory and Reese are in there, they are in direct cahoots with most of the red top rags, but primarily News of the World. Fucking hell. And in particular, so- a very regular visitor to the offices is the investigations editor, a very dodgy man called Alex Marinchak, who is one of the guys involved in the phone hacking scandals oh. and would do 
anything to get a story. So he and Reese and Fillory tight as thieves. Jesus Quite literally. God. He's one of 26 former News of the World journalists to be arrested in the wake of the phone hacking scandal, which mm-hmm. happens later in, in my timeline. Mm. So the News of the World would maintain a stable of private eyes who regularly broke the law on their behalf. And this is under the editorship of people like Pierce Morgan, who loved the Fuck. Royals. They had a PI called Glenn Mulcair, who specialised in voice me- uh, message hacks. Fucking hell. While other, I told you before about them, you know, hacking their way into, or faking their way into bank accounts and yep. mortgage companies. And Southern Investigation had bribed police officers on their books. Oh, man. And this, and we have to also put this into context. This was a time when the world was a little more innocent in terms yeah. of you could just ring up a bank and give a story and they might give some details. You know, the security mm. in the world was just less bit lack a bit more lax yeah there were police officers officers also who were assigned to royal protection duty or or politicians protection duty and they've mm. all been bribed into telling stories as well Not when yet. the tv presenter dildando was murdered yeah. news of the world uh, reese assured the news of the world that he had one of his best mates as part of the investigation there was also another police officer who had been on the drug squad and he'd been looking into the Vian brothers because they were heavily involved in drug smuggling. And I think he also uncovered the information that Daniel Morgan, Morgan knew about this huge £100,000 job mm-hmm. bringing stuff into the country. Mm. And his name was Detective Constable Alan Taffy Holmes. Taffy because he's another Welshman. Somehow, and it couldn't be proven for many years, but it has been proven by their colleagues, Daniel and... Alan Holmes, Taff, I'm going to call him from now on, knew each other. And they were working together on this story that they were going to sell to the tabloids. How crazy is it that selling a story to a newspaper can be... Means you end up getting killed. Well, but more more than that, like people think it's a great way to just earn a buck, you know? Like it's so fucked up I, I think on every yeah, level you earn a buck but you also expose it at the same time so I, yeah. I don't really know why these people were I mean Taff Holmes he was he was a, a mason and oh. so was a <gasps> colleague of his called Derek Haslam who is quite integral in in this story because he gets fucked over during this time he's another policeman who he is doing some sort of investigation and they've got a big boss called Ray Adams. He's the commander of the police at the time. He is the guy that's really twisted and really dark. He ends up leaving and going to work for News International, Murdoch's mm-hmm. company, as some kind of security guard. And he gets involved in all sorts of things. But at this time, yeah. in the 80s, he's the big boss. He's setting these policemen against each other. He's setting Taff against Haslam. And eventually, oh, Ray Adams is also involved in the cover-up for Stephen Lawrence's murder as well. You'll find oh, his name God. mentioned around that time. Yeah. Because he's mates with the OCGs. One of them, there's a guy called Clifford Norris. His son was one of the guys who was the five in Stephen Lawrence's murder. Oh, Jesus. That's why it, would, it never would come out. And, and if this you is exactly, topple one of those dominoes, they all come down. But this is exactly the line of duty storyline, you know? Exactly. Fucking and they hell. were after him. They're called Compliance and Investigation Bureau Team. That's your AC12. Yeah. They were after Ray, uh, Ray Adams. Ray wanted to know what they had on him. Yeah. He'd, he'd pitted. Haslam was part of the team working for, I think, the compliance team, or he was supplying some tapes and information. Taff was coming to Haslam saying, show me those tapes. He was like, oh, I can't. Some problems were happening. But in the meantime... Taff was also going to Daniel Morgan and saying, I know about this. Let's go and get 250 grand. So hang on. So The reason why I'm telling you this convoluted story yeah. is because four months after Daniel's murder, Alan Holmes, Taff, yeah. was found dead in his garden by his wife with a shotgun wound to his chest. Oh, fucking the shotgun hell. next to his body was wiped clean. of, yeah. wiped clean. No, not even his own. It was, it was, it was classed as a suicide, but there weren't even any of his own fingerprints on there no and police will tell you because they've attended so many suicides mm. if they were ever going to commit suicide it would be a gun in the mouth because yeah. you can't make any mistakes nope and also after if you shoot yourself whether it's in the chest or the mouth you're already dead so you don't conveniently like just put the shotgun beside you no it's all wrong 
It's all it wrong. It is totally wrong. And there was a suicide note that named Alex uh, Derek Haslam, the man I mentioned before. So he was hounded out of the police force and out of London before going on to assist the Morgan investigation by going deep undercover for nine years mm. as a covert human intelligence source, a- otherwise known as... A cheese! A cheese! Um, so does anybody know what's actually going on here? Does she? Eve's dropping. No one knows. Eve's dropping. What? But I was just going to say to you, so this guy, Ray, he's basically the Tommy Hunter of the story. He is a policeman, so no. Oh. The Tommy Hunter is Clifford Clifford Norris. Right. Who is the father of one of the Stephen oh, Lawrence's Geordie, sus- I can't suspects. keep up. I'm it is so, so convoluted. Confused. It's like watching all six series of A Line of Duty all together. So but basically, all names. you need to know, oh, there is a lot of names. So I'm, I'm not even telling you half of them. There's another one that you need to know called OJ, otherwise known as Obnoxious Jock <laughs> Davidson, his oh, name is. Okay. What's his name? I can't remember. He is one of the uh, uh, other dodgy policemen. He was involved in Lawrence's murder. He's also somehow connected to the uh, Morgan murder. Those two murders mm. are linked by the police officers who worked above, who were able to cover up, fuck it up, change things around. News of the world, Alex Marincheck, he's also involved because he's been, anytime anyone gets close to it, yep. he'll dig up some dirt. Yep. And deflect, deflect with a different kind of story. But here's another interesting fact. I know I'm getting all over the shop. I'm trying not to go down too many rabbit holes. But the girlfriend, Margaret Harrison, that I mentioned earlier, the last one to see, you know, the last apart from John Reese to see Daniel Morgan alive. She was also seeing John Reese. No. At the same time. Oh, for fuck's sake. And guess what? What? Within months of Daniel Morgan's murder, she left her husband. John Reese left his wife. And they both married and they're still living together today. Fucking hell. So if she's not dodgy. No, she's completely dodgy. She was, what do they call it? She was the, the honey, honey pot. Honey pot. Exactly. I'd say it was a long, a long game. Mm, she was used yeah. to get him so she could get inside, yeah. a, you know, like bedroom, bedroom info. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, in the meantime, recent fillery. Remember Sid Fillery, the King of Catford, the dodgy uh, DI, and Reese, the business partner. They worked for years supplying stories and training News of the World journalists in the dark arts of phone hacking and then computer hacking. With Alex Marinchak, they had a mutual system to distract or defame anyone who got in their way. At one point, Jonathan Reese was so incensed at being arrested for initially for Daniel's murder that he launched a campaign against the the arresting officers with the News of the World and planned to plant drugs in their car. There has been evidence found over the last 35 plus years, but every time it's brought to court, there's always, it's always a dud, always thrown out of court because of insufficient evidence or some kind of legal loophole. And, or it, or the thing, things been there, compromised but you somehow. you know what? There are there are so many cops involved in this that there will be no way for it to ever get to to some kind of conviction because there will be someone who is squashing it at exactly in, with from within from within the police force from within the yeah. the legal system. Judges can be bribed as well. You know, it's yeah. Oh, it's so fucking terrifying. So listen, I'm going to wrap it up with a quick timeline okay i'll just give you this quick timeline because there's so many more things that to tell you which i can't even fit in in this episode but basically the, you start in march 87 daniel's murdered april 97 crime watch do a reconstruction but daniel is almost unrecognizable with a dragging limp because he had a club foot but it was it was hardly noticeable but they had this guy like dragging his foot along behind him on crime watch and uh, finally, the family realised that Reese had given all the information. He also waged a very cruel war against the family over the years as well, doing things like putting a cigarette out on, on Daniel's mother's coat in the court. Um, they They paid for some elaborate, ugly, floral tribute of a harp with a broken string, which was some kind of in-joke on top of Daniel's funeral cortege, which is the family Nasty. knew nothing about. He wanted to go around and break the news to Daniel's wife. Fucking hell. Somebody was ringing the mother over the years, playing Danny Boy down the phone. At one point, Alistair and his partner, when they lived in Islington, had a woman calling up and threatening to kill them because Alistair never let up. He was the one that kept mm. 
getting his MP- MPs involved, contacting people. He would not let it go. Now, you said, though, that no one's ever been convicted of this murder. But that everyone knows. It's the worst kept secret in South East London. Every- like well, who did Stephen it? Lawrence's Tell me. Murder, everybody knows. John. Well, they believe that Gary Vian, Gary Vian held, the, uh, held the axe. And that John... John put it through. Glenn Vian was the accomplice. Mm. There's a man called James Cook, Jimmy mm. Cook, who was the driver who actually later on um, supplied evidence, but that had to be thrown out of court. Mm. And John Reese was the instigator with assistance through the police by Sid Fillery. So it's those guys. The initial six that were arrested, yep. apart from two po- policemen who were involved in the moonlighting scam for Belmont auctions, they were all... They're the ones. They had the right guys from the beginning. Anyway, let me go back to my timeline. April 87, six people arrested. July 87, DC Ian Taff Holmes, apparent suicide. Then in April 88, a year later, the bookkeeper from Southern, Kevin Lennon, told the court that Reese had organised his to kill his partner. All you need to know is Lennon turned up and gave loads of uh, loads of um, facts and information. But Lennon was the bookkeeper. You need to keep up, Michelle. I can't. He was the so much. <laughs> Jeez, I'm sorry. Kevin Lennon mm. was the was the star witness for the first coronial inquest, but that all had to be thrown out of court. Oh God. June eighty eight, the Met refers the case to the, a watchdog after the Morgan family made allegations against the police. Right. In eighty nine, after Alistair lobbied, lobbied his MP, Hampshire police begin an in- investigation into police incompetence, and this is called the Hampshire Report. Mm-hmm. They concluded that there was no police misconduct, but plenty of cock ups, and it was handled dreadfully. <sighs> the family want to see this report, but they were always denied. I wonder when the statute of limitations is allows them to see it. Well, they did see it eventually, but it was it was all redacted, redacted. and there were loads of things they, they weren't allowed to see. In 94, The Guardian wrote an article and Islington's MP Chris Smith got behind the case and the new police, police chief commissioner, Paul Condon, said that the inquiry was compromised and admitted up to 250 corrupt police officers were in the Met. Out of 40,000, that's a very small figure. We think he might have been downplaying it somewhat. Mm. The third inquiry is in 1999 mm-hmm. and because of all the scandals, the Met had to start this anti-corruption unit and that was known as the ghost squad okay that's almost like our ac12 they almost had him at one point they run they ran the ghost squad they bugged houses they bugged they had um haslam derek haslam the previous officer in as the chiz he worked there for so many years he had so much information and tape upon tape upon tape but unfortunately during this particular um inquiry mm-hmm. They uncovered there's a jeweler who employed Southern Investigations to sort out his wife, his ex-wife. Sort out? This jeweler employed Southern because he was having a custody case. So Southern decided to get the ex-wife put in prison by planting drugs in her car and setting her up as a drug dealer, Ugh. which meant that an innocent woman would go to prison and her son would then then her ex-husband would have custody of the child. Now they uncovered this while they were investigating Daniel's murder and all the tapes that were relating to Daniel's murder had to be given up in evidence for this heinous crime. The only good thing that came out of this is that Reese went to prison for 7 years. Right. For attempting to pervert the course of justice. But never for Morgan. No. Oh. And unfortunately while he was in prison he had a high time making new contacts, yeah, sorting people out, saying, oh, when I'm out, everything will be fine. When he got out, news of the world employed him again. Fucking hell. Because he only did five years of his seven-year thing. Then in 2001, there's a fourth inquiry. Then in 2002, there's a great detective by the name of Dave Cook who appears on Crime Watch. Jill Dando's no longer there, but there's another policeman that works, policewoman that works on the program called Jackie Haim or Jackie Hames. The, the day before he appeared on Crime Watch, news of the world and Southern went about trying to usurp him, Dave Cook. So they found out some information and they went for the angle, he's having an affair with Jackie Hames. Right. The policewoman on Crime Watch. But guess what, Michelle? What? They're married. They're married. There's no story. They're married. (laughs) But that didn't stop the news of the world and Southern from 
making loads of phone calls yeah. to uh, uncovering all this information about them. They had men in balaclavas jumping about in their garden, scaring the hell out of their children. They had men at the front with cameras surveilling them, photographing them. It was a nightmare. And in fact, they heard a rumor that Alex Marinchak was going to try and sort them out. Oh, God. This, honestly, like, I can't keep up. It's it's so yeah, fantastical. It's too, much. There's too much. It's so fantastical that it's hard to even believe that this is real life. It does just sound like it's connected to the government as well because Andy mm. Coulson, who became editor of the News of the World after Rebecca Brooks now Wade, Rebecca Wade now Brooks left, became the spin doctor for Dave Cameron. David Cameron allowed <sighs> another report a two part left that he did the he started the phone hacking scandal report, the Leveson inquiry. There's two parts to it, but they all reneged on the second part. We only ever heard one part of it. Mm. That's another story, Michelle. Oh, my God. Another, another story. So I'm gonna much, wrap it up. Shorty. I'm going to wrap it up because there's more on my timeline. Eventually, if Hillary does get att- uh, arrested for p- attempting to pervert the course of justice in 2006, but I don't think he gets jailed. There's super grasses, yeah. policemen, ex-News of the World journalists who become whistleblowers. It goes every on time and the, on. Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, was involved. He was the head of the um, public prosecutions at some t- at some point during the Daniel Mor- uh, Daniel Morgan inquiry. It's like the public has the public has short memories, though. You know. Well, like- I'm just going to flip forward because the last thing you need to know mm-hmm. is that recently, the in in 2013, I think because I've lost my timeline right now, they go, the family go to Theresa May, who is then the Home Secretary, and beg her to start another report on this whole thing because yeah. they know that there, there's been incompetencies and corruption within the police, aided by the News of the World and Southern Investigations. Yeah. She's reluctant to take it on, but then Hillsborough happens, so then she takes it on. She commissions the report, then says that it will be ready in 2016, Yep. But it wasn't ready in 2016 because in the meantime, you know, Brexit happens. She becomes prime minister, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's now ready. It is now ready to be released into the public domain. But our now Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, mm-hmm. who happens to be good friends with the Murdochs, she attended a wedding oh, of one God. of the Murdochs. I think it was actually, who married Jerry Hall for five minutes? Was it oh. one of the sons, or was it Rupert Murdoch himself? I can't remember. Yeah, one of was it? It might have been Rupert. Anyway, who I fucking can't remember. knows? Well, she she was at that wedding, right? Pretty Patel. So the report is ready to be re- to be released to the public. It's been checked over by police for security, but she's saying she wants to check it before releasing it for security and possible human rights violations. But that's not her job. Her job is just to release it. But she's holding it off. And I haven't heard anything since. That's the last thing I've heard. When was it? When was this all kicking off? When was it meant to be released? Two weeks ago. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, Geordie, everyone's in cahoots. So everyone's, everyone's, everyone's in cahoots, yeah. Everyone's got something at stake. It's connected to so many things. And, uh, you know, a lot of those policemen who are up high have probably already retired off the fat of the land, the fat of the OCG money mm-hmm. and all their corruption. Mm-hmm. But it would just reveal so much about our police and what what has been allowed, but what they've been allowed to get away with and the injustices to families like Stephen Lawrence and, the, and Daniel Morgan's families yeah. that how could we ever trust them again? Well, but this is all line of duty stuff, you know, like they yeah. have to, they have to have the visuals on this, which is there's no, there's no corruption. No, they exactly. cannot admit it because people will lose trust. But people already have so little trust in the police force. You know, they... And and the media. And even the, the law, you know, the justice system. You know, yeah. we look at this, but until we've actually been a part of it, I think we, and, and had injustice done to us, it's hard to put ourselves in their shoes because... We see we see all these documentaries. We see Line of Duty. We've all seen Making a Murderer. And, you know, it's the world over. Everyone's yeah. fucking corrupt. Go go live off the land. Go live off grid. That's the only way forward. Shoot shoot any uh, trespassers on site. Yep. No. Jobs are good. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Michelle, don't act like a tit. 
We're all on the same side here. It's true. And actually, Michelle, stop making a titty yourself and piss off. off. (laughs) I've got some other great... I've got all my favourite lines of duty up here. I've got... You bent bastard. Oh, at one point during my story, yeah. no, there was a really long-winded inquiry that they were dragging their heels on. And then suddenly they discovered that one of the Vian brothers' stepsons was in the police force. Oh, my You're God. Ryan Pilkington all over. It's the caddy. The caddy. Barking so out. if you don't understand what we're talking about this episode, you have to go and watch Line of Duty, really. And really, from series one, episode one. Got to get yeah, in from the beginning. All the way through. Lenny James, brilliant. Help me, Tony. Help me, Tony. Jack and Laverty. Love it. <laughs> there it is. Oh, well, thank you for that amazing story. Well, you know what? Jesus, Mary and the wee donkey. <laughs> He's 10, 10 pounds so ring and wet or whatever. I don't know. Bloody 10, <laughs> ten stone ring and wet. 10 stone ring and wet. Ted Hastings, what what a character, what a legend. He didn't float up the lagging in a bubble. That's true. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Geordie. Amazing work. You should have been a PI in another life. Well, I'm glad I'm not because you end up with an axe in the head. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give that a miss. Thanks, Michelle. Well, lovely to chit-chat and... Uh, we'll catch you later, Michelle. Catch you on the flip side. See you round like a rithal. Oh, that's a goodie. <laughs> well, whatever you bloody do. Just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.